Great singing uh, this morning. Uh, sounds like you ate breakfast. You're energetic. <laughs> Nancy always tells me to eat breakfast, and I'm really bad at it. And I'm thankful I had some breakfast this morning because I needed it to keep up with you guys. Uh, the hymn singing was just um, all glory to God that we can come and gather together uh, and meet and just meet to praise Jesus and to lift up his name. Uh, there really is uh, no better place to be um, than with God's people uh, because the days are, are moving forward and uh, the coming of Christ is one day closer, right? Every day that passes, Christ is that much closer to returning. And we're told in Scripture to not forsake the gathering together of the saints, as is the habit of some, but to meet together as that day draws near. And to do that because um, we need to be prepared. Uh, we need to be ready to meet Christ. We, we need to have our hearts and our minds in the right place. And in Ukraine right now, uh, we're all this far. You do realize that. We're all a spider web's thickness away from death, each and every one of us, every day. We don't see it, but we are. And sometimes people see it more when they're in the midst of war and they realize the reality of that, as in Ukraine right now. But for each of us, we could come before our maker at any moment. And what we need to be doing is pointing one another to Christ, pointing one another to our hope that's in him, and reminding each other of that secure anchor of our souls that is Christ. And so I'm just so glad to be here uh, this morning and that we have the privilege uh, of once again, as Kevin mentioned, of looking into God's word together, um, which we uh, do all throughout our service. Uh, we center on God's word and uh, we seek to hear from him. And so with that, I invite you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 5. Chapter 5. And uh, I ask you to join with me in a word of prayer. Father, we... We're told in your word to be still and know that you are God. And so, Father, this, this morning as we look into your word and we look at the gospel of John, we are told some amazing truths by the word of your beloved son and our savior, Jesus Amazing truths that he claimed of himself, that he is equal with the Father in every way, that he is fully God in every way. We can't really grasp, Father, the depth of that truth, and we struggle as finite creatures to really understand it, and yet we believe it to be true. Not because there is not, we don't believe it blindly, Father. We believe it because you have given us the evidence in your word that gives us the confidence to know that it is true. 
You have not called us to believe something blindly, but you have established it and it is a rock because it is built on your word. And so as we look at the Gospel of John this morning in chapter 5, and we continue to see the glorious claims of our Savior, I ask, Father, that you would bless each and every one of us here this morning, that we might learn something new from your word, that we might be strengthened in our faith as a result of it, that we might be challenged, Father, as we live this life that you have called us to live. We might be challenged uh, to live according to your word and in light of these truths. We ask, Father, that you would bless the hearing of your word, bless your people this morning. May we hear with open ears and open hearts. May we hear with humility. And may we receive your word and be blessed by your spirit through the preaching of it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we've been going through the Gospel of John, both in our sermons uh, for Sunday morning, uh, studying through the book, as well as in our scripture reading. And, and I like the overlap. I think it's really helpful to understand uh, what John's emphasis is, to hear it from different perspectives throughout his book. And uh, we've now come to chapter 5 and verse 25. So we heard in 17 to 24 that Jesus himself forcefully and clearly, I might add, proclaimed before his opponents his deity as the unique son of God. He claimed for himself equality with the Father in his authority to give life and in his authority to judge all people. That's what Jesus says. I am equal with God the Father and I can give life and I will judge all people. Just think about that word, all. Every human being that has lived on the face of the earth from Adam and Eve all the way to however many are born or conceived in the womb, Jesus will stand in judgment over every soul. A person, we also learn, cannot honor Jesus without honoring the Father. And one cannot honor the Father without honoring the Son. So they are not only equal in giving of life and judging, they are equal in glory and the honor due their name. And Jesus says that the way you honor God is by believing his word regarding Christ and his gospel. And so if you are to want if you want to honor God this morning, Jesus says that you must honor him. And you must receive his gospel, you must believe in him as Lord and Savior. This is the only way a sinner 
can be delivered from judgment to and pass into eternal life. And so our passage this morning in John 5, 25 to 46, that was 17 to 24, Jesus is continuing his explanation to them. And in verse 25 to 29, he's going to put what you might, what I called an exclamation point on his claim to deity. Um, he, he's drawing out not only his position as God and as judge and life giver, but he gives us a present and future reality here of resurrection and judgment, which his identity as the Son of God entails. It's an emphatic exclamation because um, you can see it by the use in verse 25 of the phrase, truly, truly. It's the last use in a sequence of three truly, truly statements that took place in 19 and 24. It's this exclamation point on Jesus' claim to deity and divine authority. He says that he is even now presently and in the future will resurrect the dead. Jesus will resurrect the dead. And we'll look into that a little bit more today. But then we're going to follow that up this morning in verses 30 to 46. So that's the first exclamation point on his deity. But 30 to 46, Jesus points them to the way in which the Father has borne witness to him. And the reason this is important is because you might ask yourself the question, as I'm sure many have, why should I believe Jesus? Right? Why should I believe his claim to deity? What is it about Jesus as revealed in the word and as they saw him, what is it about Jesus that sets him apart from any other person that might claim deity? I can be here this morning and I can tell you and proclaim to you that I am a Messiah sent from God and that I am God. I could say that to you. And I could tell you that I'm also going to be there at the final resurrection and judgment seat. And I'm going to stand in judgment over all of you at the last day. And I can say I have the authority to give life and to take it. And you would look at me and you would say, what? You're crazy. That's what you would do. I hope you would do that, right? This guy's a madman. Who would claim that? And then you would say, well, why, why should I believe those claims of Roman? And you, and you would say, there's absolutely no reason to. But it's not so with Jesus. Jesus actually knows these unbelievers. He knows they're rejecting him. And Jesus doesn't just make these claims and leave them hanging, but he actually goes here and he backs up these claims. And what he does is he points to the way in which the Father himself bears witness to Jesus. 
And you're going to see that the Father himself bears witness to Jesus in three ways here. Through the testimony of John the Baptist, 33 to 35. Through the divine works of Christ, in verse 36. And through the written word, through the scriptures, we will see how all of these things, Jesus says, are confirmations that the Father gives us that this indeed is, that he indeed is the Son of God. And so let us hear God's word in verse 25 as Jesus picks up his explanation regarding his deity and then goes into the uh, proof or corroboration of his claims. Verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If anyone comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? 
Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Amen. That is the reading of God's word. That is the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so here we see in the very beginning, Jesus, as he's proclaiming his deity, he moves into this future, this present and future resurrection. You can see in verse 25, he says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear, he says, will live. What Jesus is talking about in, the, in this particular verse, I believe, is he is referring to this ongoing spiritual resurrection that Jesus brings with him. A spiritual resurrection when he calls his own sheep by name to redeem them. One of the truths about all of humanity that the scripture lays forth is that we are born dead in trespasses and sin. When you were conceived in the womb of your mother, you were conceived in sin. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once formally walked, following the course of the air and the prince of the power of the air, living in disobedience. We were living dead in our trespasses and sins. That is the reality of every human being conceived in the womb and then born. And the reason that Jesus came into the world is to save dead sinners. Jesus came to redeem sinners who are dead in their trespasses and sins. And how do you revive and save someone who is dead? If, if someone dies physically, let's say, and you are walking next to where you see a dead body laying, if I pick up that dead body and take it home, have you ever seen that movie, Burning um, something? I forgot what it's called, but this, uh, what is it? Weekend at Bernie's. And they prop him up, and they sit him in a chair, and they take him around, and they pretend that he's alive, and they put him on the beach, chair on the sand, and they're trying to go through this whole fiasco of making it seem like Bernie is alive, but Bernie's dead. He can't move. He can't talk. They raise his hand for him. It puts it down and so on. If I do that or someone does that, that body is still dead. The body is still not alive. And so how do you redeem someone that is dead and alive, what's the first thing you need to do to save someone who is dead in trespasses and sins? You need to resurrect them. You need to make them alive. 
And that's what Jesus came to do. And he, he even says, an hour is coming and is now here. When the dead, those who are dead in their trespasses and sins, he doesn't say all of them, will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear, he says, will live. This, he says, when he says the hour is coming, he's saying not only is it coming in the future, but it's now here as he's talking to them. He's saying people are being saved. The dead are being raised spiritually as they hear the gospel proclaimed. Jesus is bringing resurrection power with him. And all those who belong to him, who hear his voice, when he calls them unto himself, Jesus says, his own sheep, he calls them by name and he leads them out and they follow him for they know his voice. If you're here this morning and you are hearing the voice of Christ, it is because you belong to him. If you hear Jesus' voice calling you to come to him, it is because you have been given new life. If you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the Messiah and Redeemer and Lord, that he is the life giver and judge of all people at the end, and you humbly come before him and you say, yes, Lord, I believe, and I want to follow you, it's because Jesus has done a resurrecting power in your life. Now, if you leave here this morning and you still have not come to Christ for salvation, it's because you are still dead in your trespasses and sins. Jesus came, he says, to raise the dead. And so this will be true of all those Jesus has come to redeem. He will lay down his life for them. He says in John 10, 15 to 16, then and in the future. And so with the arrival of Jesus, the hour spoke of in the Old Testament passages, such as Ezekiel 37 in the Valley of Dry Bones, those predictions about the coming resurrection the Messiah would bring, Jesus says, has now dawned on you. Isaiah 55 verse 3 says, Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. And so here is Jesus proclaiming that to them. But there's also a sense in which Jesus is not talking only about this present spiritual resurrection, the forgiveness of sins and salvation. Jesus is also talking about a final resurrection, he says, of all the dead. All the dead will be resurrected. I think Jesus is referring to Daniel 12, verses 1 to 2. And Jesus says, you should not marvel, he says in verse 28, for an hour is coming, so now notice he doesn't say and is now here. Now he's just talking about future. An hour is coming 
when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. Not in a saving sense, but just in a being resurrected sense. All who are in the tombs will hear his voice and they will come out. That is, they will bodily raise out of the tombs that they are in or the kelns that they were placed in, or the ashes that they were spread over the ocean, whatever has happened to you, your body will come back together. And Jesus says, that hour is coming in the future when all who are in the tombs will rise up. Now, this doesn't mean necessarily that they're going to hear his voice in a saving sense, because that is what takes place in the present age. Jesus now says his voice is going out, and if you hear, you will spiritually live. But in that coming day, when Jesus' voice goes out and all the dead are raised, there are going to be two groups of people. Jesus says there will be those who have done good, and their bodies will be raised and reunited to, for in their soul with their souls, and they will be raised to the resurrection, he says, of life. Their bodies will be reunited with their soul, and they will be resurrected to live eternally with God in glory. The other group doesn't fare so well. Jesus says, this hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and they will come out and those who come out who have done evil they will be resurrected they will be resurrected to the resurrection of judgment that is the present and the future that is coming jesus says that he is god he has the authority to give life. He will judge all people one day. And he says, the, the singular truth and exclusive truth about who Christ is and whether or not you believe in him is what makes this distinction. Will you be raised unto eternal life or will you be raised unto eternal life? judgment. Jesus says in John 3, 18 to 19, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light. And then notice what he says, because their works were evil. In John 6, 29, Jesus has asked, what must we do to be doing the work of God? Jesus answered, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. The good work that Jesus is talking about 
when they're raised, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done good, the first good that they do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That good work is followed by a life manifested by good works. You understand that? But if you don't have that good work of believing in Jesus, then whatever good works you do, they're not done in Jesus, and so they are not good works at all. They are not good works that will save you. They are not good works that will bring you into the kingdom of heaven. And we need to come... Our world needs to hear that, and we need to be reminded of that. Because our temptation, beloved, is to try to justify ourselves by our good works. And Jesus says, you will not be saved by your good works. There is one good work that will save you, and it is by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that work, as Andrew taught us this morning, is a work of grace in the heart of people. And so, this present age in which we live, these last days, Jesus raises spiritually from the dead, and in the future, he will raise all people from the dead and judge them. And the one who stands at the center of it all, whose voice transcends all of time and eternity, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, how is it that Jesus can do this? Verse 26, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. And so Jesus is saying he's just like the father. He is self-existent. He, he has life in himself. He depends on nothing. Um, he can do what he does because he is equal in every way with the father in essence. And so when... Jesus says it, is, it has been granted to the Son. Don't think it is granted to the eternal Son of God as if he didn't have it and now he has been given it. What Jesus is saying is it has been granted to him as the Son of God incarnate. When Christ came, he humbled himself, he emptied himself, Philippians 2, 6-7 says, he emptied himself of all his prerogatives and the glory that belonged to him in heaven. And then when he came down and he took on flesh by confirming who he is, God the Father granted this to the incarnate Son of God because it is rightfully his from all eternity. You understand? It's not something new that Jesus was given that didn't belong to him, but it's a confirming of a granting to him by the Father. So as the eternal Son of God, he had this right within himself, but as the incarnate Son of God, the Father confirms him by granting him these rights that 
belong to him in eternity past. And that is why Jesus then ties this truth to the Son of Man referred to in Daniel 17 and 7, verse 13 to 14. In that passage, Daniel refers to the Son of Man as the end-time eternal king who receives glory from all. He is presented before the Ancient of Days, this Son of Man in Daniel 7, and he receives his completed glory when he comes and is presented before the Ancient of Days. So you can see that in Daniel 7, verse 13. Daniel writes, And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And so this coming one, this Son of Man spoken of in Daniel, is the Lord Jesus Christ who is presented before the Ancient of Days after his crucifixion and ascension. He goes before the Father and that kingdom and all tribes, tongues, and nations are in him. And this is why Jesus says in John 12, John 12, verse 23, Jesus says, the hour has come. This is before he's going to the cross. Now he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour, verse 28. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Verse 30, Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. And so Jesus would be crucified, he'd rise again, and he would ascend back to the ancient of days, and all those in him would be saved. Now, why do we believe in Jesus and his word? That's quite a claim. Anyone can claim that to be equal with God. Mental hospitals are filled with people like that. I've talked to people who are homeless, as I'm sure you have, who have claimed it. Religious leaders claimed it. World leaders living in palaces have claimed it. I think to some extent... I don't know this, but I wouldn't be surprised if, no, I won't say it because I don't know the hearts of men, but it's crazy that people would, would claim this, but Jesus does, 
And Jesus told us there would be false prophets, false Christs, who would claim to be the Messiah. He warns us of it over and over again, and we've seen it. Paul speaks of a lawless one in 2 Thessalonians. He says, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. People have claimed it. And Jesus is claiming it. And so Jesus says in verse 30 to 32, he says, do not, he does not say believe me because I bear witness to myself. It's not that his witness to himself is false because it's not. As God, he speaks the truth. But what he is saying is believe in me Because what I bear witness to is exactly what the Father himself bears witness to. Jesus says, of himself, what I say of myself is what the Father bears witness to. He says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And then he says, verse 31, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. If, if he stands up and without any corroboration, without any confirmation, as maybe these leaders in the world do or in the mental hospitals, and they say, I am God, he says, if all you heard was me say that, he said, you would have no validation. I would be just like any other man. But when God the Father bears witness to the Son, that changes the claim. And two times God the Father bore witness to the Son at his baptism and at his transfiguration. You remember that? When he said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And a voice came from heaven and bore witness to the Son. But Jesus is talking about more than just that direct reference. He says in verse 32, There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony he bears about me is true. And the first thing he points to is John the Baptist and his testimony. He reminds them how they themselves sent to John the Baptist And Jesus says he's born witness to the truth. And in verse 35, he calls him a burning and shining lamp. And interestingly, the Greek there can suggest that he was, John the Baptist was, when it says a burning and shining lamp, that he was ignited and gave light. And and that suggests that what John is saying is John the Baptist was given to be ignited and given as a light from above. John the Baptist was sent by, not in the way Jesus was, but John the Baptist was raised by the Father for this purpose. And I think he may even be referring to Psalm 132, verse 17, that says, In Zion I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp 
for my anointed. John the Baptist, a man sent from God to bear witness to Jesus. And so they gave him their ears. They were intrigued by him and what he said. And for a while, as the father spoke through his faithful servant, John the Baptist, they listened about Jesus and John the Baptist proclaimed Jesus to be the Son of God. And so this is one way the Father bore witness to them through John the Baptist. And Jesus says, though, I'm not appealing to John for my sake, but for yours, that you might hear and believe what John the Baptist wrote and said, not wrote, but said about me. Now, when you look at that, I hope this encourages your heart from this perspective. Um, At this point, John the Baptist is probably dead. He's probably been beheaded by Herod. And I just think it's so encouraging. This J.C. Ryle kind of in his commentary brought this out to me, but that Jesus remembered even John the Baptist. He remembered his faithful servant. John the Baptist was a man like you and me. He was sent by God, empowered by God, to proclaim Jesus. And after he died and he's persecuted, he's imprisoned, he's beheaded, Jesus remembers him. Jesus remembers the one who honors him publicly. And I think that should encourage our hearts Jesus, even though the world had forgotten him and these Jewish people who for a while loved John the Baptist, even though they had forgotten him, Jesus remembered him. If they had forgotten his light, Jesus did not. And here's how J.C. Ryle puts it. Christ cares for all his believing people and never forgets them. Forgotten and despised by the world, perhaps, they are never forgotten by their Savior. Their tears are all in his bottle. Their names are graven on the palms of his hands. He notices all they do for him in this evil world, though they think it not worth notice, and he will confess it one day publicly before the Father and the holy angels. He that bore witness to John the Baptist never changes. Let believers remember this. In their worst estate, they may boldly say with David, I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. What a blessing. And so Jesus says, John the Baptist was sent by the Father, and he, the Father bears witness through John the Baptist to Jesus. And so, in contrast to John, who has a mouthpiece sent from the Father, the Father himself also testifies regarding Jesus more directly. Jesus says, through the works that he is doing. He says in verse 36 to 37, the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. So as great as John's mouthpiece was, Jesus says, I have even a greater testimony than that of John. He says, for the works 
that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. What were the works that Jesus was doing? What were they? They were turning water into wine, just as just in John's gospel, turning water into wine, clearing out the temple, healing the sick, raising the dead, speaking with authority. Jesus says, look at all that I am doing before you and consider the works that I am doing. Are they the works of man or are they the works of God? Can man do what you see me doing before your very eyes? You see, I know that when you hear and read about Jesus' miracles, and when I say that right now, when I say Jesus raised the dead, what comes to your mind? You probably, you don't really know how to process that. When I say Jesus turned water into wine, we kind of have this indifference to those claims. When I say Jesus healed the sick and Jesus raised the dead, we kind of look through this scientific lens of our day and age and we kind of see it in, with some kind of indifference or distance because we haven't experienced it. We haven't seen it. But when they are told this by Jesus, you have to understand that they didn't question the reality of these things the way we think in our minds. They don't look back 2,000 years ago and be like, well, that's, a, that's an interesting distant claim. Because they actually saw it happen. They actually witnessed visually what Jesus did. They even say, we can't deny that what this man is doing, he is doing signs that we have never seen before. And their only response to it was, he must be doing this by the power of Satan. This is how miraculous the works were that Jesus was doing. We kind of forget that because we don't see them. But Jesus is saying, you are looking at me and watching what I'm doing and what I am doing before you in healing the sick and raising the dead and turning water into wine and clearing out the temple. What I am doing should speak loud and clear that I am not just like some other man. I am doing the very works of God that the Father has given me to accomplish. And the one work which Jesus did, the one miracle that is the greatest of all miracles that scientists and modern-day scholars and the wise, the wise of the world, 
who try to explain away everything and every miracle in the scriptures, the one miracle that they need to explain that they still can't explain is that Jesus rose from the dead. That tomb is empty. Jesus isn't there. Because Jesus died and he rose himself from the dead. Think about that. Jesus can raise others from the dead. And we can witness it. But when Jesus is dead and he's buried in the grave, does some prophet come like Jesus did for Lazarus and say, Jesus! Rise out of the dead. Does Elijah come to Jesus or Elisha come to Jesus and press his face on Jesus to have Jesus rise again from the dead? No. Jesus is in the grave and the only one that says, come out Jesus, is Jesus. Jesus does it. And he raises himself. And you know what? If you have a problem with all these other miracles recorded in the Bible, the fact that Jesus rose again from the dead should put to rest any doubt that you have about anything that you read in the Bible. If Jesus rose again from the dead, whatever you read about Jesus doing in the Bible, is it possible that he did it? Yeah, it's possible. It's not just possible. He did it because he rose again from the dead. And so the evidence is there, beloved. The evidence for Jesus is there in his works for his claims that he is one with the Father. But the problem is not the evidence. The problem with sinners is the willingness to believe is not there. That's the problem with sinners. You don't need more evidence about Jesus and who he is. You don't need more evidence. Jesus says all the evidence is before you. What you need is a heart that is changed from an unwillingness to believe to a willingness to believe. And so this is what Jesus then points to. Thirdly and finally is the testimony of God's word. People continue to reject him. They continued to reject him. And Jesus says, look, the father sent John the Baptist. The father is confirming this by the works that he's doing through me. And the father has confirmed it over and over again by the scriptures. He says in verse 37, the father who sent me has himself borne witness about me not through the works, not through John the Baptist, which he did, but that's not what he's saying. He's saying he himself more directly has borne witness about me, and that is through his word, his written word, the scriptures. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at. This is why he says to them, his voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. So when you're thinking about his voice you have never heard, 
He's saying, unlike Moses, who heard God's voice in the Old Testament, and unlike Jacob, who in some sense saw God's form when he wrestled with him, and unlike Joshua and the psalmist, who hide God's word in their hearts and they meditate it on it day and night, those who believed God and wrote his word regarding Jesus in the Old Testament scriptures, unlike them, you reject me, the more perfect revelation of God before your very eyes, the very word of God incarnate. They wrote God's word as God revealed it to them. You now have God incarnate in your presence before you, and you refuse to listen to me. You do not believe the one whom this God of the Old Testament scriptures sent. Hebrews 1. Look at how the author in Hebrews puts it. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, right? God spoke from Moses and Jacob and Joshua and the psalmists. Long ago, this is how God spoke many times in many ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by who? By his Son. Jesus, the Son of God, the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power, God has now spoken to us by his Son. And Jesus is saying, God the Father has not only given you the Old Testament scriptures, but I am the epitome of the Old Testament scriptures. And I am standing before you and you refuse to come to me. He even says in verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. That is, they think that their hope is in obeying these laws and commands and regulations. They look at the scriptures. They think that in them they can receive eternal life. But he says, it is they that bear witness about me. This is what Christ is, is saying to them. He is presenting himself to you and I this morning as he presented himself to them. And Jesus says, if you will come to me, the one who is the God of heaven and earth, the creator, sustainer, the judge, the savior who can resurrect you to new life now and in the future, Jesus says, I will give you eternal life. I will forgive you of your sin. How can you believe in Jesus, he says, when you 
receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. In other words, if you keep living for your own glory, for the glory of others, you will never come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so, is Jesus who he claims to be? Yes, he is. The Father testifies to him by his own voice from heaven. The Father testifies to him by the prophets like John the Baptist he has sent. The Father testifies to Jesus by the very works that Jesus is doing. And the Father testifies to the Son by the scriptures that were written about him. All of the predictions, types, and shadows, they all point you and me to Jesus Christ. So let me say, what does this mean for you and I this morning? Real quick. Here's what I think this should remind us of. God has given you enough evidence and me to identify Jesus as the Messiah. It's not hidden from you and me. He declared it. He declared it through his son. God keeps nothing back. And we should thank God this morning, beloved, that he has opened our eyes to the truth regarding Jesus. Are you thankful this morning that you see what others reject? That God has risen you from the dead. You should also pray that the Holy Spirit would do the same work in our friends, families, and neighbors that he did in us. If you are thankful that God has risen you from the dead, should not that thankfulness move you to pray for your lost friends and family? If he can raise you from the dead and me, he can raise them from the dead. So let's pray for that. One last thing. Let this truth embolden you and me to speak the truth no matter what the response. Do not be ashamed of Jesus. Do not be ashamed of the truth of who he is because it is not our job to soften the gospel and win converts. Our job is to be truth-tellers as our Lord and Savior was. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we've spent a lot of time this morning in this passage. It's a very deep truth. It's a very glorious truth that Jesus has proclaimed, one that we can probably dig into for weeks upon weeks to come. There is so much in your word, Father, that we have still yet to ever study and look at as a church. And I know that we will never get through all of it, for we find ourselves looking at passages like this and just marveling and realizing the, the glorious truth that is 
in your word. How it exalts your son and it reminds us of his deity and his glory and his power. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being so patient with us and so kind with us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for speaking the truth boldly, for not holding back the truth when you could have won the glory of those men by adapting yourself to their own desires. You sought to be glorified by the Father, which meant that you had to speak the truth even if the world would hate you for it. We thank you that you spoke the truth and that your Holy Spirit, O oh God, decided to open our hearts and our minds to the truth of who you are. We thank you that you have risen us from the dead and you have given us eyes to see when we once were blind. We thank you that you have granted us the faith to believe, the faith to trust in you and to hope in you. We thank you that you have given us new hearts that could walk in obedience to you and serve you. We pray that you would help us as your people to do good in this world and to honor you, to obey your commandments and to be faithful servants of the living God. We ask that you would help us not to bring shame to your holy name by living a double life and living as hypocrites in this world. We pray that you would keep us from taking your name upon ourselves and then living as if we never knew you. Help us, O oh God, to be faithful servants. Help us to live for your glory. Help us to be bold in our proclamation. Help us to be faithful witnesses like John the Baptist. We know and desire to be with you, Lord Jesus, to be with you in our resurrected bodies forever. And we thank you that that day is coming when all the dead will hear and raise. We pray, Lord, that this morning, if there are any that are spiritually dead still here this morning, that, Lord Jesus, you would rise them again. We ask and praise you and thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen.